Welcome to the Wise Musician Club. We are a group of musicians, performers, and music executives who realize that access to the music industry has become harder than ever, and we want to change that. We want to show future rock stars and rock stars that want to continue their career in this digital environment that there is a pathway to success, and it's not all based on luck. We are going to dispel myths, share the trade secrets, and explain the industry from the inside and out so you can absolutely kill it in the music business. All right. Thanks for joining us today. Mr. Joe Height is on the line, and we have um, some great conversations. We have some great history, some um, mutual up-and-comers that we've worked with, and today we're going to talk to Joe about his journey and some epiphanies he's had along the way and looking to just help and guide a lot of the folks that are still in the music industry, maybe some old folks uh, still in the music industry trying to figure out this digital world in addition to the younger generation, the up-and-comers, and all of the opportunities and possibilities that we have at our fingertips. So Joe, welcome to the Wise Musicians Club. Thank, Thank you. you so much for um, joining us. So today I really just want to get a backstory. Um, you know, I had met you probably maybe late 90s into the mid 2000s, something like that. Knew of you, didn't really know you, but I really don't know your backstory. Can you sort of share of how you came upon your life as a musician in, in, the, in this lovely career we have? Yeah, well, I kind of didn't have a choice. I started playing the piano when I was five. I sat down. I stayed home. I stayed home sick from kindergarten one day, oh, wow. and I had six sisters, and they were all in piano lessons. Most of them are older than I am, and so I would hear them play the piano, and I didn't really think much of it. And all of a sudden, this one day, I was home from kindergarten. I was looking at the piano, and there it was. And I was like, I guarantee you, I know how to play that damn thing. And I went and I sat down, and I just could play. So what? Yeah. So ever since then, I I started playing all the songs that I would hear my sisters practice for their lessons, and then I realized I could play anything that I heard, like on the radio, you know, so I, I just, this realization that I could play the piano by ear just caused this incredible obsession. And that's the only thing I, I did my entire childhood <clears throat> was just sit and play the piano. And then I started playing other instruments a little bit. Piano was really the big deal. Um, so I knew from age five that I had absolutely no choice but to be a musician. I always knew what I was going to be, which I think is the luckiest part of the whole thing. I mean, it's lucky to have a just a talent that you didn't even have to work for. But <laughs> the luckiest thing as I've gotten older is realizing that, you, you know, not having to flounder around after college and think, what should I be? You know, I mean, I've absolutely knew without any question from, mm -hmm. from age five. So um, I also in high school started playing saxophone pretty obsessively. In fact, any, anyone that went to high school with me only thought I played saxophone because I didn't play piano. <laughs> in, in my high school, and one of the main reasons why was because I went to high school with Theo Merriweather. Oh, wow. And Theo is such a monster on piano. I was like, I'll just play the saxophone. I'll let him play the piano. Yeah. Um, so I actually got a little scholarship coming out of, of high school playing saxophone. But saxophone, I realized right away, was not an instrument that you can really make a lot of money with. Mm -hmm. and you can't do a solo thing with a saxophone. You can stand at a subway or something, I guess, but you can't you know, you can't go out on your own and, and, and be a solo act. You can't, there aren't a lot of bands that call for saxophone, you know? So I was like, I think I better just do the piano thing. So that's what I did for a long time. And I got, uh, 
I got hooked up with Tony Goff, you know Tony. Mm-hmm. And we started, we met in one band that really sucked. And then we kind of looked at each other and were like, we should quit and start a band that doesn't suck. And we did, and that was uh, Lips, which anyone who's older and in the Milwaukee music scene would remember. We used to play at T.A. Burns all the time. And we got a little bit of success and went out to L.A. to go try to be rock stars. And we almost were rock stars. We were doing really well out there. We were selling out the Roxy on a Saturday night, which is a big deal. And we had A&R guys coming to see us every time we played. And, uh, and it was getting to that point. Like we were gonna be sort of, we were on the list of like one of the next bands kind of. And then grunge happened and instantly, like it felt like within a second, um, um, nobody, cared, nobody cared about us at all anymore. So I stopped doing that. I quit that band and they kept going for a little while and then I kind of all just fizzled out. And Tony came back to Milwaukee and started the Boogeymen and I was living in Vegas at the time playing out there. And he kept calling me going, hey, we're finally making money in a band. You should come here. <laughs> I was like, screw you, I live in Vegas. But anyone that lives in Vegas knows you can, you've got like two years to live there before it drives you out of your mind. So you, so, you moved to Vegas just to have sort of a constant piano gig? Is that what you did? Um, yeah, I, yeah, I ended up, yeah, I ended up there through a friend of mine who said, hey, if you want to get paid to play music for a change, come here. Because, yeah. And so I played six nights a week at mostly Caesars Palace and then a couple other places. But that was, that was, and I became sort of the musical director for this girls band, not a band of girls, but a woman front person and then a band. Um, and that's, that's how I spent my time in Vegas. But then I got back to Milwaukee and did the Boogeyman thing for a while. And we actually, we, we were huge for a while for whatever reason, doing our wigs and disco music. <laughs> um, and I still at that point hadn't done any solo stuff and hadn't really, every, every band that I had been in involved Tony Goff, who's a singer. So I never was called on to sing. So I was like, I knew that I probably could, and I always sang background vocals. I was a major background vocalist, but I never sang lead, which would keep a person from having a solo music career. Um, and then, and so, and I, so when I moved back from Milwaukee to Milwaukee, I did the Boogeyman thing, and I also worked at Tony's company. He had a manufacturing company, so right. I was doing that during the day. And I sucked at it, and I hated it, and we, Tony and I both, you know, kind of knew it, you know, with Tony my best friends so he wasn't gonna like kick me out or anything but finally i woke up and i'm like i cannot sit behind a desk for one more second so i gave tony a bunch of notice and i said i have to just be a musician so i thought i was gonna um i thought i was gonna make money in a studio which we had built i thought i was gonna write jingles but the jingle business doesn't really even exist anymore people use like existing classic rock songs and stuff in advertising <laughs> um so i got a call from an agent my dog thinks that she can sit on the computer right now <laughs> um, got a call from uh, TEC saying, this is years and years ago, saying, hey, you're about to just be a musician, aren't you? And Ryan McIntyre has just uh, canceled on a gig at Senior Luna. Do you think you could sing and play and take his place? And I was like, sing in public, for real. And I thought, this is the moment right here. Like, if I hesitate and make this a big deal, then it's a big deal. If I just say, yeah, I'll go sing, then I have to go sing. So I took it. And I was just terrified to sing in front of people. I mean, this is like well into being a musician and I yeah. still really scared about singing. And so I practiced so much that I lost my voice and I went and I sang and did my thing. And I got just enough encouragement from, from friends that I kept doing it. And then that, that's kind of how my solo thing started. I just 
I started recording my own background tracks because I wanted to have like a band behind me without having to actually hire a band. So I spent like 15 years recording tracks. I would just record them as I would go, you know, I'd get requests and go, that's a good idea. And I'd record the tracks for that. And, um, and that became, I started, I played, I started playing at a piano bar downtown called Chintani. It was, uh, is in the third ward. And that was sort of my place. That was my main thing. And that was where I sort of made my solo career. And that's where people figured out who I was as a solo musician. And then it, it just kind of ballooned from there. You it know? skyrocketed. Your yeah. popularity just went. Yeah, it just, it sure. just, uh, it was, it was a, it was a different time in Milwaukee though, because um, that, at that time, that was, that was, a re that was like 2000, like this mm -hmm. extremely early 2000s. And Milwaukee actually gave a shit about music, live music. <laughs> Whereas now they really just don't. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it was a lot easier then. I mean, this was a live music venue. You knew it, it was a piano bar. You knew when you got there, you're going to see live music and people flocked to it. And it was huge and popular. And uh, you can't see this dog right now. I can. I can. Yeah. It's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> trying to keep her from pressing any buttons that are going to screw anything up. That's okay. um, so it, it, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a climate in Milwaukee where, and, and this is when the Boogeyman was happening too. So there were all these places to play and all these people in Milwaukee were excited about live music. And that made it so much easier. And now there are, there are no, not no, but there are a small handful of good music venues where actual bands can play. There's a million places where um, solo musicians can set up and play, but they're all kind of like restaurant slash bars, yeah. you know? So it's a, the climate now, you can, you can make a living playing solo now, um, but it's not going to be, I don't, I mean, there's not any places where you're going to get massive crowds of excited people because you're playing live music. What I think uh, to me, when, 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 when uh, the market crashed like 08 and everybody went broke and people, the first thing that went was people going out. And that's when people all disappeared and they seemed to never come back. Like everything kind of came back and there was when, when things kind of got revitalized, it was with a whole different crowd of people. And these people were like much younger and wanted to hear DJs. And it was the music scene has never really rebounded from that as far as I can tell. Now I, I just have to ask you regarding, you know, sort of the live performing live and um, I don't know if you two are outside of Wisconsin or if you're just home based at this point, but what do you do to um, for, well, I know you don't really do the solo gig anymore or you've sort of put that on pause, but what did you do to really promote people getting to those shows? I mean, even though you said, you know, it used to be great and then the downfall and then now different people are coming, but how are they knowing about your shows or are they just showing up because there's live music is, do you have a, a visibility, a presence, are you putting money behind it to get people there or are you just hoping? It's you funny know? you say that because um, I did stop playing like locally. I stopped playing in Milwaukee bars for the reasons I was just saying, you know, because yeah. Yeah. a lot of the people, especially in the suburbs, they'd rather hear the sound of their fork putting a fish fry in their face than a musician playing music. Um, so, and, and, and during the Shintani thing and that whole period of time, I really didn't have to promote anything because that place had such a draw and that 
caused people to know who I was on such a level that, that I, I mean, everything that I had then was, was I had weeklies then, like what, what places I play the same night every week. I play this place out in Pewaukee called Piano Blue every Wednesday. I play Shantani every Thursday and Friday and the Boogeyman every, somewhere every Saturday. So I, it was never a responsibility of mine to promote myself. And what I had been doing, what I've been doing the last couple of years or year and a half, maybe since I kind of left the Milwaukee bar scene is um, a lot of studio work. But then also I've been playing with a friend of mine down in Key West quite a bit. And that was kind of keeping me alive. And Key West is a whole different thing. Key West, everyone's, you know, 65 and on vacation. And so it's, it's fun to play for those people. They actually want to hear music and they want to hear a lot of like 70s, like classic rock, which is my wheelhouse. So I'm like, what? People are excited to hear this stuff? Great. You're not playing for like, you know, 23-year-olds yelling about Kenny Chesney or whatever, you know? So, um, so that had been cool, but that, that, some things kind of caused that to fall apart very recently. So I'm actually in a spot right now where I'm revamping the whole way that I play live, which, um, is going to not involve background tracks because that kind of got in my head. Like it was sort of people perceived that as karaoke ish. They didn't know or care that I had recorded all of those instruments. They're like, Hey, download this and play it. I'm like, download. Like the last song you just heard took me 15 hours to record you asshole. I'm not downloading anything, you know? So that got in my head and that, that was part of why I, I kind of stopped doing that. So I'm re redoing the way I'm doing it and I'm going to start playing in bars in Milwaukee again. One out of necessity, but two also because I, I, I kind of miss playing all the time, you know? I mean, I've, I've just been sitting around working in my studio and, and I just miss just playing, you know? And so I'm, I'm in a place now where I have to go to market now. I have to, I'm gonna have to advertise. And, and I'm, so I think now it is important to figure out a way to promote yourself outside of just, you know, throwing something on Facebook, like here's where I'm gonna be. You know, so, um, so I'm, 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 you know, doing things like lining up photo shoots and, and, and I'm going to actually launch some sort of a website and, and, and try to actually market myself really kind of for the first time in my life. Okay. You know, be the first time that I actually have to do it, you know? Right. I mean, I, everything else had been either a band with Tony and Tony's such a businessman that he does all the promoting and I just sit there and play music or it was just a natural draw type situation like Shintani where I was just, my re whole responsibility was to show up and play, you know? So let's talk about that natural draw that you've had over these last 15 years or that people, you know, fell in love with you and, and really wanted you, uh, wanted continue to come back. How, did you capture any of their contact information or anything regarding that? that yes and that's mm -hmm. a that's a huge thing and that's that's mm -hmm. that's something that everyone that's that's good at the music business will tell you that you simply must do you've got to have email lists you've got to you've got to get as much contact information from every single person that comes to see you play as you possibly can because then you can directly obviously directly tell them things about where you're playing and and and, and get them there and that is luckily you know some stuff from Tony wore off on me. <laughs> Luckily, you know, him saying, him always doing that and always, I mean, every band we were ever in, you know, he'd have to hire some young girl or something to run around and extract information from people. Right. 
And that's, that's probably the most effective way to do it. If you find yourself in a situation where you actually have some people in front of you, figure out who they are somehow, get them to fill something out, get them to, get them to, to, you know, another really great way of doing that too. I got this idea from, uh, from Ryan McIntyre is he will actually give the crowd his phone number and say, text me requests. People, first of all, on the spot, love that. They love having this weird, different way of connecting with the musician. But then he's got these phone numbers. He's getting, you can have a text, a mass text list or something. You know, that's another great way to do it. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, absolutely. What a, what a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, that was Ryan's. I can take no credit for that. <laughs> all right. So you've got... Go ahead. You've got your email list, which is great, and it's concrete. And email, at this point, we don't see it ever going away. But to your point, you know, having a different layer or a different avenue, especially texting right now, you know, emails, um, again, if you don't have a list, you don't have a business, you don't have a revenue opportunity, you don't have, you can't get in front of people, is the reality. That's the foundation. But mm -hmm. email gets so lost in all of the crud and the stuff that you get on all these lists that it can tend to get lost. So yeah. having that additional layer right now uh, with every client that I work with, texting is sort of the number one. Another one that's coming up really, really fast is Facebook Messenger. You know, having them engaged in doing Facebook Messenger campaigns and, and that interaction and engagement. But to your point, having that email list is foundation because you can actually create what's called custom audiences in social media and just promote to those people or people with similar likes and attributes of those people that you have in your email list. So the, the opportunities are endless, but you never want the chance of doing what happened with um, MySpace is have it all of a sudden go poof and it's gone. And not to say that Facebook is ever or Instagram is ever going to do that, but you never know. It's possible. They're no. changing their rules every single day. We as uh, marketers and people that are doing the digital media in the background are constantly having to, uh, you know, re-engage and re-figure out how we're going to work in their new confined rule, uh, rule environment. So to your point and bringing it back, having that email list is actually still critical, yeah. um, you know, to success in reinventing yourself as the point where you're at right now. That is exactly where I'm at right now. And you're right. Emails are, are sort of perceived as semi ignorable for a period of time, at least, you know, if it's an email, it's less urgent than a text or a phone call or, a, or even a Facebook messenger type thing. You're right. Yep. But but it's it's uh it's it's not a bad thing to have a huge list of people's emails. You do you you, you do reach some people that way. Right, absolutely. So um, you don't have to share if you don't want to, but you said you're sort of reinventing yourself. Um, are you getting back into more of a solo environment? And again, you don't have to share if you don't want to. If you want to keep it, uh, yeah, that's you know. fine. I'm, I'm I'm I've already got some. I mean, I'm already kind of getting back into. I'm 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 also going to yes, I am going to do a solo thing, and I'm going to do it more organically, kind of maybe even use like a loop pedal with with, with a keyboard, so that. Mm -hmm. If I'm setting up a song right in front of people, then they know, they can tell. Every sound you're hearing, this guy just made, you know? It's not, it's not some guy sitting singing to karaoke tracks, which is what really I think a lot of people thought. I heard the word karaoke a few times, and it got so in my head. I was like, oh my God, these people think I'm singing freaking karaoke in front of a piano right now. It was just, yeah. it, it killed me to think that that was how anyone perceived what I was doing, you know? So now I, I, I'm... I'm determined to, to, to show the musicianship and everything that I do. And, then, and what that'll also do is, is keep it fresh for me. I mean, that way, if I'm setting up an arrangement on the spot, 
every night I can have a different arrangement. I can put a song in a different key depending on how my voice feels. I can slow it down or speed it up depending on how I feel, what mood I'm in, you know? Right. Well, and, and you've typically ahead. made your career with more on, I'll call it on the cover market or doing that type of thing. Now this, it sounds like you want to get more into the creative space and I'm sure you've written your own stuff before. I just have never heard about it or, or you know, maybe you're going to create on the spot, hopefully, Content, record everything that you're doing, every single live show, because you don't want to ever forget it. I, I had been doing most of my writing for other people, and I had been in a trio called The Ordinary Heathens, where I, I wrote a bunch of the songs. But I am just now um, writing my own record for the very first time. Because, I, and it's taken me this long till age 100 to figure out who I am musically. Like, what's my musical identity? If I was writing for myself, what would it sound like? And I, something just snapped like a month ago, and really recently, and, and, and I was like, oh my God, that's what I want to sound like. And now songs are just kind of pouring out of me. And, and it's not going to be long. It's going to be like a few months and I'm going to have a record. Beautiful. So, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. I haven't really even talked about that with anyone yet, except for some close friends. But I'm just furiously writing right now, and I really, really like it all. I love it. Well, when you're ready to launch your album, there's so many different uh layers to getting the most engagement and getting that i mean it's not only something we love and if you're writing fe feverish feverishly that means that you have you know that it's non-stop adrenaline probably at this point that's just coming out of you but also again this is a business it's a revenue generator we need to keep money in our pockets there's so many layers that can work holistically together to bring in revenue for something exactly like you're, you're describing. Right. Um, you know, speaking with uh, Willie Porter earlier this morning, and he gave a little nugget of information that I thought was really cool. And I believe out of this one, your nugget is Ryan McIntyre's um, yeah. little thing regarding the, Thanks, the texting you. Yeah. And, and, you know, that can, equate to anybody, whether it be locally, nationally, sure. whatever, how cool to have that connectivity between the audience and they feel that they're part of you. I mean, the internet brings sort of uh, that feeling anyway a little bit, but that to have their phone number or, you know, and make requests, how cool is that? Yeah. Uh, Willie Porter, you know, has a great idea and I'm going to bring it back a little bit to just from a marketing philosophy and something that I learned in, in my journey is that no matter how digital we get, people love to still get something through the mail. And Amazon is key, uh, key for this. They're doing things digitally, but they're still giving you something that you can hold on to, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and, um, you know, CDs, people are still producing CDs, but not everybody has a CD player anymore. Not everybody can listen to it. And then you download music digitally. So something that he said that's really neat is that what he's doing is he's allowing people to actually purchase a thumb drive full of like six or 10 of his albums for obviously a higher price. And, but he literally ships them the thumb drive and then they can download it and do what they want with that music. Wow, and I think that is such a cool a cool way to reinvent uh, an op uh, opportunity to get your your craft out there and for keeping your revenue going. Mm -hmm. And you have to, you've got to start getting creative because it, the music business now on every level, it seems that actually the actual selling of the music itself is like the least of the ways that people are making money now. You know, streaming makes you no money. Correct. You know, you're getting pennies, you know. 
Um, so something like that is a great idea. Right. I'm most surprised it would come from Willie Porter. That. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And again, what I what I found in, in my journey from a musician into a digital marketer and really understanding the 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 coexistence of both and the need for both is that people still again love to get a present through the mail, but they also love to get offered additional things that really lets them live vicariously through you. So whether that be a little snapshot of a quick little story, you know, a PDF of a story of your life or something that they can personally gather on that they'll actually pay additional couple additional bucks for. There's huh. all these layers that you can layer on to such, such great ideas. engagement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I say, that's, that's, that's where, that's where we, that's where we are because again, selling music, even on a national level, isn't making anybody any money. That's why ticket prices are so incredibly high now. It's, these rock stars are making money selling merch and, 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 and playing shows. And then seriously, no one's getting rich. No one on any level is getting rich selling their music right now, I don't think, you know? You exactly. Know, but I mean, not not really on any level. I mean, we just we just went through, a. Tony and I were, were, were sort of, Tony was, acting as a bit of a record company for a while and with this with the studio and and uh so we did a lot of uh we got we we learned a lot about the music business in the last couple of years with that we delved in deeper than we had ever before and that's that was the biggest takeaway is that jesus how do you make money you know so these are all all these ideas are are they're important and and they're good yeah, absolutely. And, and even just from the foundation of what um, I have created and I have learned, you know, eventually in, in the near future, there's going to be sort of a training that you can actually go through and see all the layers that you have opportunities are and sort of step by step on how to do them. But there's, you know, talking to people, there's different additional layers. I mean, you know, we have to constantly reinvent our craft into something that people want to have themselves. Right. And so from a digital, you know, we used to have tapes, we used to have CDs, we used to have things we can hold. Uh, CDs people don't do, downloads, you get your MP3 or takes a crap and you got to get another one and, you know, whatever from the whole uh, uh, iPod up to the <laughs> iPhone situation. And, you know, not everybody is so technologically savvy that can understand how to download music and have it all in one playlist. And even I have trouble with that still to this day at times. So, um, I guess my point being, you have to make it easier for them to grasp and hold it, um, for them to feel engaged with you. There's, um, I saw a scenario, there's a musician, and I don't even know where he's from. I think he's from Australia or New Zealand. Anyway, a very interesting story. And my point being is that Facebook, a lot of people, you know, it's a love-hate relationship. But to be honest with you, from a musician standpoint, it is gold at your fingertips if you know how to use it correctly. Really? And, I'm, and I'm not saying boost posts because that is a complete waste of money. And we'll get into that later. But complete, if you're boosting posts, don't do it. Um, but anyway, there's a, an artist from Australia that he does, I'll call it physical music. He has all these weird looking instruments and drums. And he does all this ethereal, how you feel I've seen it. that. I've seen a video of this guy. Definitely. Right. Yes, and, I know and, what you're talking about. Okay, and what he does is... On Facebook, I've seen him. Okay, right. And what he does is um, he sells out his shows and he tours the world with his family 
all the time. And he markets himself pretty much only on Facebook. And he figured out how to create his campaigns or his ads to get people to his shows to sell out every event he has. And he makes, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars from just that experience. Now, his experience is, is a little different than a typical musical experience because everybody that shows up lays on the ground. So it's a really, I don't know if you saw that, but it's a whole different experience. They don't stand up and watch, you lay down and you feel it. So it's really interesting, but he's really sort of, he, he found a niche for him in the Facebook world to really, really capitalize on making money and making this his lifelong dream. So I just want to share that real quickly with you. Yeah. So, so tell me, tell me about boosting posts. Is that, why is that a complete waste of money? I have never boosted a post, but I get offered to boost posts all the time. I'm like, yeah. what? Do I need um, to do that? Yeah, unfortunately, it's Facebook's way of continually um, uh, targeting small business folks because obviously we create small business pages for us and our music and whatever business we have. And so they're constantly going, oh, add, add five or 20 bucks right. here or 50 bucks here and you'll get in, 12, in front of 1,200 people. Well, what they're not telling you is those are not your ideal customers. There we go. There we go. <laughs> There we go. Um, so those are not your ideal customers. Um, it actually on the back end of Facebook, they allow you to target your ideal customers and the interests that they have and your money is spent so much better than you just boosting a post, just throwing I'll call it shit against the wall, hoping somebody's going to like it. It's almost right. like a television commercial. Oh my gosh, let's pay thousands of dollars and see if somebody's going to see the our television commercial and hopefully they're going to buy. That's right. what a boosting the post is right. uh, as comparative to, Oh my gosh, the targeting tools that we have on Facebook that we can get into people who like the type of music that you are or who have a philosophy that you have, it changes the world. It, cha it changes from a revenue standpoint and a monetization standpoint, the opportunities that you have and you don't have to spend a lot of money. This guy from Australia literally spends a hundred dollars or less for every show that he promotes. And literally it's that easy and that simple, but you have to know what you're doing. So, and it can be like a big combobulation of like overwhelmingness to people when you use Facebook, especially the back end of it. But mm -hmm. to his point, if you know how to use it, a hundred bucks, and he makes five, six thousand, seven thousand dollars just from ticket sales into his show. And then guess what he does? And he upsells them, right? And then it's the merch, and then it's the little specialized drums. And then so there's all these pieces. No matter what you're doing, you have to have, in my opinion, a layered approach to how you're gonna approach a business. So absolutely, absolutely. More now more than ever, I think. You know, there's not every 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 model that existed in the eighties and nineties for being successful and making money in the music business is kind of blown to pieces now. So, yeah. yeah other, than, other than live, I mean, live still works, but, yeah, you, right. but a lot of people tend to really lose their ass, lose money doing a tour because they don't know how to promote it correctly. So that's why I asked you, you know, if you're going to do shows again, how are you going to promote them? How are you going to guarantee that people are going to show up there? And, um, you know, I know that especially in the Milwaukee region, uh, it's still, you have to pay a cover typically to enter somewhere. And I think from 
getting people to actually take action and move forward, wanting to come to your show as compared to coming in free. Um, there's a different philosophy there. If you offer everything for free to people, they're more apt to not show up and go, eh, I've got no money into the skin in the game, so I don't have to show up. If you right. ask them to pay a little, even in advance, utilizing a, a ticketing, you know, you know, we're going to have training on ticketing, how, how to ticket your shows, whether the, 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 uh, the um, venue does it or whether you do it yourself and how to get people to pay a little money up front to want to show up to that event and know that you have a guaranteed sold out show. So yeah. it's, you know, there's so many cool things to do and they are fairly easy if you know how to use them. So just like if you're not shown how to use a screwdriver, you're never going to know. But um, same with a piano. Well, you <laughs> for some reason <laughs> knew exactly. And I do have to say, you know, I'm sort of like you, but not probably not as advanced as advanced from the piano standpoint is that my parents made me take piano lessons at age five and made me learn piano. And I rebelled against being told what I had to play. And then I then went off and learned and created everything by ear on my own. So that's more of where- Most people never get past the rebelling part. I hear so many, every time I play somewhere, someone says to me, I wish I never quit taking piano lessons, but piano lessons to people when you're a child, you're turning music into work, you know, now it's homework. Now it's something you're told to do. You have to do it. And the stuff they throw at you in piano lessons couldn't be more bland and more boring. boring. Incredibly yeah. boring. Just horrible, horrible. Yeah. I mean, it's no, it's no. So most people do exactly what you do did and, and rebel, but then never get past it and go, well, screw that. I'm gonna go play baseball, you know, but, yeah. but you continue to good for you. For yeah. Actually. I, I touched the, the ivories again, probably at age 14. And then the creativity and the songs just took off for me, for me. And, but I was happy that I actually had a foundational standpoint of how to put my fingers on the keys and how to read yeah. music to a standpoint, yeah. but yeah. I'm definitely more uh, by ear. Um, so anyway, I digress. Uh, so we're talking about, um, you know, what are you going to do reinventing yourself? And I think it's a very exciting time for you because you do have sort of the world at your fingertips and I can't wait to hear your stuff. I am super excited about it. I mean, both my husband and I, as you probably know, we think like you are the one of the most talented people we've ever met in our entire mm -hmm. life. I mean, and having that, you know, innate ability to just do hear something and be able to do it is just out of this world and um we adore you, know you i'm gonna let you and everybody else but you specifically know when i've got when my record's done yeah perfect and it's all about you know helping you so we want to make sure that we promote as much as we can across this venue and this avenue too from a communicative standpoint and mm. um you know we're gonna be um I don't know. Hopefully we can talk again when you're ready to release something. I would love have it. some shows because um, we want to make sure that people get to your shows and, um, you know, help you on really yeah. navigating all this lovely digital space that we live in. Yeah, this is under the guise of you interviewing me, but really I'm getting more from you <laughs> by far. Good. So, yeah, definitely. Thank well, you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we can talk anytime, but certainly when, when this record's done, I'd be very excited and wanting to talk to literally everyone and, and, and get it out there and let people hear it. Perfect. If you can just um, leave me with two last things. The first one is regarding your new album, give me a little whisper or a hint of what style um, you're planning on doing, or is it just sort of a, what you feel is what's going to go on there? There's definitely a style and it's going to be, um, it's, it's going to be 
um, pretty lo-fi, kind of fuzzy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, like not, not uh, like overprocessed. Like yeah, like that vintagey lo-fi kind of feel and sound. Yeah. And it's gonna be funky as hell. Love and it's it. gonna be kind of a cross between. I don't know if you know who Wolfpack is. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of tightness and funkiness, and like old Steely Dan, like pretty. Mm-hmm. Not super technical, so as to like leave a lot of people behind. But I'm not being concerned about. I'm not for the first time ever. I'm not writing for anyone. I'm yeah. I'm I'm writing stuff that I want to hear. I'm writing stuff that I think would be awesome. When I'm when I'm done with a song, I'm like, I think that's awesome, and that's as far as I think about it. And I'm not so so. It's not. It definitely won't be. You know, music for 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 a stadium full of people because it's going to be a little too technical for some people. But um, but I'm excited about it. It's gonna be it's gonna be lo-fi and funky, is what it's gonna be. Perfect. I'm excited. Yeah, your funkiness. I mean, it shines through, <laughs> and everything that you do is phenomenal. My last, good. my last little point that I want you to just, you know, just tell me whatever pops in your head throughout your entire journey, even from age five. What is one of those biggest epiphanies that you had? Like maybe you were going this way, and you took a right turn or a left turn, and it just changed your perspective on where your music career was going just the first thing that pops in your head what is that um I just remember I remember I don't I think we were in LA doing something and um it occurred to me as I was watching particular bands and then our band that the the one thing if you're going to be a musician that no matter how you are how proficient you are no matter no matter where you are technically in your musical journey, no matter what kind of music you're doing, who you're trying to reach, the only thing that matters is authenticity. I remember that being, I remember that just like hitting me. I just like, I think I actually saw in my peripheral vision, like some lights that spelled out authentic. I'm like, oh, you gotta be authentic. Like no matter what, you can suck at singing. And if you mean what you're saying, people are gonna think you're really good. You know what I mean? If you are authentic, no matter what you're doing, do whatever, do believe in what you're doing. And, and people will respond as though you are a rock star. Absolutely. I love that. Well, with that, I thank you so much for taking out the time to talk to me today. Thanks and for I'm having super me. excited. Yeah, I'm super excited to hear your new stuff. And um, we'll definitely tag on the end of this podcast all of your contact information if and when you have it available. Um, you and I will talk after this and uh, we'll go from there. So thanks so much again, Mr. Joe Height. My Mr. pleasure. Pianist extraordinaire. All right, have a good day. We'll talk to you later. Thank you for visiting us at the Wise Musician Club. If you'd like to follow us on Facebook and listen to all the interviews and watch their video interviews of the podcast, go to The Wise Musician and like and follow the page. We look forward to seeing you back here or visiting our Facebook page.